0: From that perspective, we're really kind of technology agnostic. Right now, we're currently evaluating and investigating projects, both wind and solar, in the U.S., and and we'll look to do the same
1: in the U.K. as well. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in.
2: Hi everyone, I'm John Fiella, and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. We hope you've enjoyed our first few episodes and invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you don't miss any of our upcoming conversations. Today, you get to listen in on my conversation with Cindy Kwan, Global Chief of Staff and Head of ESG, Corporate and Workplace Solutions Division at Goldman Sachs, which took place at our recent renewable energy sourcing forum. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, founder of Smart Energy Decisions, and thanks for joining us today at our opening keynote session of the Virtual Renewable Energy Sourcing Forum. As renewable energy sourcing is increasingly important in corporate ESG programs, it is very fitting and appropriate that we're kicking off today's event with Cindy Kwan, Global Chief of Staff and Head of ESG for Corporate Services and Real Estate at Goldman Sachs. The focus of my conversation with Cindy will really be on a higher level to talk about their overall ESG strategy and how renewable energy sourcing fits into that. As many of you know, Cindy's a member of the Smart Energy Decisions Advisory Board. There's a lot to talk about with her, so we're going to jump right in. Cindy, thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit of your kind of your background and your role today at Goldman Sachs?
0: Absolutely. Thank you, John. And and first and foremost, thank you very much for inviting me. My name is Cindy Kwan, and I am the Global Head of Environment, Social, and Governance. And one thing that, John, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned is that we've actually rebranded our division name. We are now the corporate and workplace solutions division at Goldman Sachs. So ESG sits within that division. So for short, I'll just call us CWS from here on. And as John also mentioned, I'm also the the chief of staff for corporate and workplace solutions team. A little bit about our background, which will explain essentially why we recently rebranded, is that our team manages approximately 11 million square feet of the firm's corporate real estate portfolio. Many of you have heard this from me before. Across two... 224 global locations, 167 cities, and 36 countries. Our legacy, essentially, uh, client engagement team is also responsible for providing all of these services and amenities to the people of Goldman Sachs, including hospitality, cafeteria operations, our event planning business, document management, and global travel, or in coronavirus days, lack of global travel. But also new to our division is part of the firm's what we called front-to-back exercise and aligning a lot of the support functions within the businesses that they essentially work with. We also have a team that performs essential commercial and risk management functions that drive the firm's operating efficiency. And lastly, definitely not least, what's new to our division is that we have a team of technology engineers who are now at the core of delivering cloud and app-based solutions that drive the firm's productivity collaboration, and our connectivity, especially in 2020, and leveraging a lot of these virtual platforms like Zoom. So, within our new division, Corporate and Workplace Solutions, the ESG team, which is my team, works across each of our 20 functional business lines to ensure that we are managing our global workplace in the most sustainable manner for our buildings, our people, and our communities.
2: Before we talk about specifics on your renewable energy sourcing strategy, Give us a sense for the why behind this very broad, sweeping array of ESG initiatives at Goldman Sachs. What's driving the company? What What's the philosophy behind everything that you're doing?
0: Great intro question, John. As we understand that the the markets are changing as well as the the changing climate and the environments, our clients' priorities are rapidly evolving. And so with all of the change that every single one of us have been enduring in 2020, and the fact that 2020 is an anchor year for sustainability achievements in the, the corporate world, we really wanted to get ahead of this trend. And so in December of 2019, Our CEO and chairman, David Solomon, had published an op-ed in the Financial Times that we as Goldman Sachs will continue to deepen and further integrate sustainable finance expertise across all of our business and our products, and our services. And this announcement was really us being front-footed in this endeavor to reinforce the firm's leadership and our commitment to sustainability, that it is truly the core of our business, and it's embedded throughout each one of our divisions. And we were really doing that um, essentially because we were hearing a significant amount of topical comments from our clientele base that we wanted to make sure that us as Goldman Sachs, we were in a position to be able to not only advise our clients, but ensure that we were helping them essentially get ahead of a lot of these market forces. And as many of us know in the sustainability space, it's incredibly important for the direction and messaging of our companies to actually come from the top of our house. And so we couldn't get further up the, the food chain essentially without actually having David come out and and lay the, the groundwork for the, the foundation and the framework for the rest of us to be able to execute on. And this commitment also cemented several important organizational changes for us to respond to the, the changing market landscape, which first and foremost included the formation of our sustainable finance group that mm-hmm. aligns with our one GS model to support our client needs. So two highlights that I want to mention today, which is one which is on the the firm-wide side and then the other one on our operational side is in December, David, when he announced this new formation of our sustainable finance group, also announced nine growth themes that we would be focused on as a firm, which is built on a decade of market research. Those two areas are within the the buckets of climate transition and inclusive growth. And so hopefully not new to, to many of our listeners and our viewers today is that during the coming decade, the firm is going to be targeting $750 billion in financing, investing, and also advisory across each of these core themes focused on climate transition and inclusive growth. The second component that that I want to make sure that, that we highlight that, John, you also mentioned, is that in the December announcement, we were gearing up on the operational side to also release a new suite of 2025 commitments. And these commitments are really like they expand the entire core of our ESG activities as a firm. So an essential characteristic of our strategy is really to use our operations as a testbed and an incubation hub for our growing market activities. And as such, Our operational ESG program extends beyond corporate responsibility, and we really use it as an engine to scale ESG innovation and best practices. So while our 2025 commitments are new, Mm -hmm. they essentially are not new in terms of the commitment buckets that they are within. We've been committed on the ESG side to ESG leadership over the past decade, and our progress and learnings over this time really provides a blueprint for our new market-making teams. So we have essentially one eye on meeting and exceeding our 2020 targets, but we also understand that we have to persistently consider essentially what's coming next, especially in light of the the changing environment as well as the new decade. And so as part of our 2015 environmental policy framework, we expanded that framework to include very specific target and metrics. We were able to leverage essentially our 2025 commitments to expand on each of these metrics. And then as well as David Solomon's announcement in December, we are aligned with growing expectations that we essentially present our best foot forward from a corporate citizenship and responsibility framework. And John, to your question, like why does our leadership care? It's always been a key foundational pillar for us. If we're able to essentially continue to conduct our business, ensure profitability to our stakeholders, but do so in the future in a way that makes commercial sense and is also good for the environment... Ultimately, it's a win-win situation and a win-win solution for us. Us on the operational side, we are able to continue to prove that we can walk the walk in this space and executing on new solutions for the firm and our marketing teams can continue to talk the talk in this space to ensure that we are providing essentially one cohesive, one GS front to the market.
2: Cindy, everybody wants to hear about renewable energy though, right? So let's Let's zero in on the renewable energy portion of your ESG program, your goal-referenced direct purchase of 80% renewable energy procurement. Give us at a high level, what's the overall outlook for that? What's the general strategy for it? Can you give us a sense for what process you use to zero in on the things that that make sense for Goldman Sachs?
0: So great question. Obviously, you know, this audience is very much focused on renewable energy. And so we actually pivoted our commitment. So our commitment by the end of 2020 was to align one for one, 100 percent of all of our electricity use with renewable energy. By the end of this year, we are on track to meeting that commitment. And what we wanted to do is essentially pivot a little bit for 2025, Don, as you mentioned, that of that 100%, we want 80% of that to actually come from long-term commitments, whether they are power purchase agreements or on-site projects. So first and foremost, from our standpoint is, and it's always been the most important for us, is being able to reduce our absolute energy use. And then at the remaining of that strategy, figuring out essentially what we need to cover from a renewable energy procurement perspective. We've been very successful over the past 10 or so years and looking at all of our real estate around the world and really focused in on real estate consolidations. And so moving from four to five legacy buildings into newer, more efficient buildings to really kind of bring down that absolute energy use. We've done it in New York City when we opened up our headquarters in 2009. Mm -hmm. And then last year, we actually brought online two brand new essentially developments over 2 million square feet between the two of moving out of our legacy campus and moving into BRIAM excellent certified buildings, Well Platinum certified facilities in our Bangalore campus, as well as Well Gold health and wellness certified facility as well in our 150 Outer Ring Road campus. And so by bringing on these highly efficient buildings, our absolute energy use um, is going to continuously decrease. And then where we are focused on is specifically in the, the Americas as well as the U.K., both of those locations collectively represent more than 80% of our total consumption globally. And so where we are truly doubling down is being able to cover both of those locations on an aggregate basis, given that the Americas for us, about 90% of our entire load is in the PJM territory. And Mm -hmm. so with our remaining kind of regional offices, we're looking to aggregate and consolidate that consumption into that PJM area and be able to cover with a virtual PPA. We're looking to do something very similar in the UK market as well and being able to aggregate through a couple of our different buildings, data center, and also offices, but be able to bring online, whether it's a large wind facility in the UK market to be able to align very closely with the remaining essentially 20% of that load in the UK market. And then also, we don't want to forget about, you know, the smaller presence, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we have a global real estate footprint, we are very much focused on some of those other areas, for example, like India and the Bangalore market, as well as Australia, where if there's not an opportunity for us to be able to essentially provide on-site options, we are looking to directly source through local partnerships and aggregation opportunities to be able to kind of bring together a collective force where there is smaller consumption. But if we're able to align all of the essentially strategic goals in the space, we'll be able to bring new markets and new structures to market specifically in the the Australia market.
2: Just to go a little deeper into renewables, Cindy, do you have any preferences for like, off-site PPAs versus on-site, wind versus solar? Are there any strategies that you have that call for a particular type of renewable application?
0: Sure. So for us, a diverse portfolio is definitely one that that we prefer versus kind of putting all of our eggs in one basket. Unfortunately, due to the the diversity of our facility types around the the world, whether we own the facilities, whether we're a single tenant, and we lease space, it doesn't always allow for on site installations. However, we are really excited to bring online a brand new solar carport project um, later on this year at our Eco mm. facility in Upstate. New York. It hopefully will be operational later on this year. But, you know, as we were talking about COVID before, the the facility actually should have been operational last month. But due to a lot of the the supply chain disruptions, we're, we're now pushed out to a little bit later this year. But we also have a solar array at our lead and well-certified campus in Bangalore, and we're we're constantly evaluating on-site solar opportunities um, at our data centers in in New York and London, and and for us, where on-site is not feasible. On-site being mostly solar opportunities, we've spent the bulk of our time investigating virtual PPAs and partnerships with our landlords to source renewable energy. And so one of the things that we were really excited about at the end of last year, and it was basically a three-year-incoming conversation that that we had with our landlord, but we were the first tenant in Ropungi Hills in Tokyo to Mm. be the recipient of landlord-provided renewable energy from non-fossil fuel energy certificates, which was a brand new instrument that came onto market at the end of last year for renewable energy. And we started the conversation very early on in in 2017, where that was not even feasible, and we were the only tenant asking for it. And now, as we kind of go into the the RE100 fees, many... of these these corporates have 100% renewable energy targets by 2020. So we were really excited to be able to bring this new structure onto the market. And then we've also worked with our utility provider directly in Australia and the UK market to provide us directly with renewable energy certificates. And so we try to essentially mix and match where the local jurisdiction allows us to be able Mm -hmm. to source renewable energy in different ways. And John, to your question around wind or solar, From that perspective, we're really kind of technology agnostic. As you know, we were previously involved in advanced conversations for a wind power purchase agreement in the United States. Right now, we're currently evaluating and investigating projects, both wind and solar, in the U.S., and and we'll look to do the same in the U.K. as well.
2: In closing, final question. What final thoughts do you have around how you see sustainability playing out at Goldman Sachs, not only for the next five years, but well into the future?
0: I think beyond climate change, you know, our commitments to our employees, our clients, our communities have to range the entire gamut within ESG. And it, it, it's very apparent to us that these commitments to social equity need to extend beyond our own operations. And, and for those of us in the U.S., diversity, inclusion, social equity are terms that are now hand in hand with, with COVID and this global pandemic. And so I think really the, the focus for all of us as corporates really needs to be looking into Our people, the diversity of our people, our supply chains and the diversity of our supply chains and ensuring that, you know, we work with diverse vendors that mirror essentially our goals and our commitments in this space and and more so a calling to the, the energy sector. Which has traditionally lacked the diversity amongst essentially our peers, which would be really great. You know, John, that, that article that you wrote, I think bringing to light a lot of the common issues that, that we are all working to fix, I think uh, is going to be incredibly important in, in the next near term this year, but an ever evolving conversation that, that we will all, as leaders in this space, need to continue to address
2: head on. Thanks for referencing that column, Cindy. We're I mean, we're committed to inspiring diversity in the energy sector, right? Because there's a lot of work to be done here. And we'd like to lend our platform and our and our voice to that cause. It's a very exciting view of the future. And I if I had to make a bet, I would bet on you for making it happen. There's so much that you're doing in so many areas. And hopefully everyone that's listening has an opportunity to find just one thing. That they say, hey, you know what, that can work at our place. And they try to implement that. This has been a great kickoff. It's been a higher level conversation, right, about yep. ESG and how renewable energy fits into that. But I can't think of a better way to have kicked off this virtual renewable energy sourcing forum than with this conversation, Cindy. So thank you once again for everything that you do. For the community and your role as an advisory board member of Smart Energy Decisions. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'd like to thank Cindy Kwan once again for being the opening keynote speaker at our recent Renewable Energy Sourcing Forum and for allowing us to share that conversation on Smart Energy Voices. We'll be keeping an eye on her continued ESG efforts at Goldman Sachs in the future. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. We're very excited about the first season of Conversations with Leaders of the Energy Transition and hope they help you make smart energy decisions.
1: Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.